in the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So can we get here quicker this year? Do we have to wait till Christmas Eve to the midnight mass or to the family gathering before the opening of the gifts when you read the story? Or to the carols, candles, and communion at that one-hour service? Can we get to this divine moment now? I think of the, the story of Tony, a very gentle grandpa who was out walking actually on Christmas Eve and he looked across the street and he saw little Jared, little guy who was across the street trying to ring the doorbell and Jared was just too small to get to that doorbell and he just, to the top of his toes, he's doing the best, to the tip of his toes trying to reach and he just can't get to the doorbell. So Tony, with great compassion, makes his way across the street and up the sidewalk and then up the steps gets over the little guy and puts his hand on his shoulder and reaches down and gives that doorbell a really firm push. Then he bends down next to little Jared and he looks at him and says, now my little man, now what? And Jared turns back and smiles with a twinkle in his eye. He says, now we run. In this season, where PNC Bank tells us that two French hens and five golden rings and eight maids of milking, all of those 12 days of Christmas will cost us this year $100,000. In our collective purchasing, they tell us that in America today, we will spend close to $450 billion dollars. Six million or six billion of that is just on decorations. One billion of that is just in nativity sets in my house. <laughs> the average American family will spend over $700. And is it possible that this commercialized holy day? has brought us to the door of divine encounter only then on Black Friday to announce, now we run. And on December 26th, we are left in debt and in a coma, wondering what just happened. I think it's time for us to decide that we're not going to run anymore. That, that we're going to dig our heels in and we're going to say no. That we're going to have this conspiracy to rebel. To say that, that we will not give in to this manipulation of this 
at an exploitation of this holy day, this divine moment. That we will wish, worship fully, that we will spend less, that, that we will give more, that we will love all that we will let Christmas really bring to us what it was intended to bring to us, that we'll want what Christmas really is to bring to us here. So at this moment, just turn to somebody next to you and say to them, Merry Christmas. So let's want what Christmas wants to bring to us. And, and I think one of those things that we misunderstand is, is that Christmas brings to us a shared space. According to a new study just recently released, caffeine is linked to auditory hallucinations, that you actually hear things that are not there. Researchers pulled together a group of caffeinites, that's what I call them, and pull them together, and they said they're going to put headphones on them, and they're going to hear white noise, that shh sound you hear. But in the white noise, if they listen carefully, they will hear Bean Crosby singing White Christmas. And sure enough, they all heard Bean crooning that song, although he wasn't even in the headphones. Hallucination. So when John, the follower of Jesus, wrote these words, in the beginning... He was fighting against a belief about Jesus that was so entirely false. It was called docetism. It came from the Greek word dokeo, meaning to, to, to seem, to, to be what it really is not. And, and, and what they said is that there's no way that God could put on flesh because there is absolutely no way that he would allow himself to have that kind of demotion. And so it had to be an illusion. It had to be a hallucination. It had to be too much espresso. It just, it was just, it couldn't be real. And John in this gospel says, wait, I was with him. I walked with him. I laughed with him. I hugged him. I watched him clip his fingernails. I watched him in the morning when he got up and he had bedhead. I saw that. I heard him burp after a meal. But then I watched this. I watched him go up to a a girl who was dead and raise her from her stretcher. I watched him glow with the divineness that can only come from God. I watched him die. I put him in a grave. And three days later, I saw him alive. God did come here. And he came in flesh. So John recalls the genesis of time and reminds us that when he said in the beginning, it was not a moment That phrase in the beginning actually is a declaration that there was this timelessness, that if you would go back to the moment when the Creator said, let there be light and look backwards, there is just this time that goes on and on and on and on and never stops. I don't know about you, but but I've sat down before and just tried to think, what would it be like to have always, always existed? I can't get there. My mind won't go there. I try to, to imagine what eternity means. And the closest I can come to is being on hold with the airlines. That, that seems like eternity. And he said, in this, in this moment, in this, in this not moment, but in this, this space, this, this, this spacelessness, this timelessness, 
is the logos, is the word. That expression means to express personality. That in all of that, no time, just everything just it's there, it was filled with this expression of personality of the divine. And it also means a powerful movement of creation. That this one called the Logos was the source of all that you see and cannot see but exists. And he antedates all of that. He was there before it. In fact, what John is saying is when the beginning began, he was already there. He was there. And he was with God. Now, with God doesn't mean that God was creating and he saw this, this being over here and said, hey, come over here, watch this. No, that word actually means face-to-face, intimately close. And he was God not a reasonable facsimile thereof, not a mere reflection, not a, a, a replica or, or a, a generation of down the road as the Gnostics would try to say later that, that Jesus was this, this lesser emanation, but he was, the wording there means, of the same nature, God. He is the reason for its existence, everything you see. And he was there before it all, always there. What makes it so amazing then is that one that John expresses is the one the angel talked about when the angel then came to Joseph. And as Matthew recorded, it said this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, meaning what? that one with us. And John says, I saw him. He said that life was embodied. Life was embodied in that one. And that life brought light to us, brought hope to us. Several years back, I was with a group of five or six guys and we were seated with one of the parliamentarians, if you will, from the nation of Lebanon. And we were talking about our faith and he was talking about his Muslim faith and we were talking about our faith in Jesus. We're having this wonderful discourse, this wonderful discussion. And he made this statement. He said, I love Jesus. In fact, here's what he said. He said, I love Jesus. In fact, I believe that Jesus can take away my sins, but I'm still a Muslim, but I love Jesus. And as we talked about our our views of faith and of Jesus, it will come down to this. I appreciate the way that theologian Dale Bruner said it. He said, our Muslim brothers and sisters do not believe that God would lower himself because of Allah Akbar. God is great and would not demean himself to be an ordinary human being. But Christian faith believes that precisely because God is so great, he shows us his greatness in this great Christmas act of humility and condescension by becoming one of us and even going to the extent of dying for us as a common criminal. So grandma and grandpa go to visit the grandkids. How many of you are grandparents? You know how this is. In fact, if I asked you right now, you would have 300 pictures. And you would have the stories because your grandchild is the smartest and greatest child in the world. 
And so they were there and and, and Tyler, Tyler was, was a rambunctious toddler and seemed to always be in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's like my brother Jay. They said my brother Jay could walk down by a, a, a shelving of books and would not move his hands, but every book would fall. And Tyler was that kind of kid. So mom had had enough, and she said, Tyler, we're giving you time out. So they took the toddler, and, they said, and they, she put him in the playpen in his room and said, you, you, you're having time out here. Well, Grandpa wanted to play with Tyler. That's why he came. And so he said, let me take Tyler out and play with him. No, you can't, Dad. You can't. I, know, I want to play with Tyler. You can't, Dad. He's in the playpen. He can't come out. He can't come out. He's in the playpen. He can't come out. You, you got it. And so then Grandpa just kind of wandered off. And Mom then thought, where'd Grandpa go? Then she heard laughter in the bedroom. So she walked in, and sure enough, Grandpa had not taken Tyler out of the playpen. Grandpa was in the playpen. (laughs) So what do you do if you are a God with broken relationships and with neglected relationships? What do you do when you are completely faultless and all-powerful? What do you do with the people who are full of faults and are weak? God said, I'll crawl into their playpen. I will crawl in with the offender. I will move into her space, his space. See, when the beginning began, he was already there. And when you began, he was already here. For he knew, he knew that you would offend. He knew that you would get in trouble. He knew that you would get time out. And even before you were born, he was already in the playpen waiting for you. He said, I choose to go there and be with you. I love the words of the song we just heard because it it expresses this thought and our response. The singer said, I hold you in the beginning. You will hold me in the end. Every moment in the middle, make my heart your Bethlehem. See, Bethlehem is where heaven and earth have intersected. God said, there's the space. I'm coming there. And God says, I want to be with you. I want to be in your Bethlehem. I want to be in your space. I want to be in your playpen. I want to be there with you. Where heaven and earth intersect is where and what we we want. It's what we need. It's what we need to give. For if this God of creation... This immense God that, 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 that John Hamilton talked about and demonstrated and, and, and read to us about the magnitude of this God and what he has done. This God can say, the most important thing now is for me to get to you and that he takes himself and he puts himself in the body of an infant. And all he does during that time is be held so that he can be with you. If he can be a, a child, a boy who plays and plays and plays, and I know there, there, are, there are those legends that when he was a child, he made a, a, a dead bird fly. Those are just all imaginations because I just think all he did was just play. He just, he just hung out. He had fun. Just to be with us, to play with us. And then when he got down to his calling, which, which was to, to bring his good news to this earth, and he called those who were going to follow him, the first thing it said is he chose his disciples, and listen to this, so that he could be with them. 
just hang out with them. That was the deal. If he's doing that, then in this Christmas season, shouldn't we be reminded that we should be the same? Do you know the... Taking Christmas aside, just the rest of the year, do you know that the average American spends six hours a week shopping and 40 minutes a week with their children? Did you know that by the age of 20, we have watched at least one million commercials that are telling us to go get stuff, not go get each other? If God can do this, where he says it's important that we be together, then can't we just slow down now? And, and can't you make that lunch appointment? You see that person all the time and say, got to do lunch. Liar. Then do lunch. I, next time a person says that to you, stop and say, okay, when? Freak them out. Isn't it time that you could, could leave work early? because it'll be there tomorrow, and go home and hang out with your kids. Can't you take a half day off and take them to the peak when there's snow? (laughs) It's cheaper now. They can go down the hill, but it's not going to do much for them. Can't you you go to the place where there's that broken relationship and, and work on mending that? Can't your gifts bring space? So after the the Christmas morning service, Pam and I will leave to go be with my parents. It's an interesting time in our lives, and a lot of you sitting here have gone through this process. You understand. My dad has ongoing dementia. He can't remember some things, and... And sometimes my mom has to tell him, in fact, more frequently now, tell him when to shower and where to shower and how to shower and what to wear and and what to do. And she can't be out of his sight very much because he just can't comprehend where she is. She can be in the next room and he won't, he'll start yelling, Gene, where are you? To the place that she has. Supposed to have a little whiteboard there that she can look at that says I'm in the next room so he knows where she, where she is. She's a real go-getter serves in her church, does a lot of things, helps with meals, and, and, and her energy is still great, and she's just a creative person, and, and she still wants to do those things, but a lot of times she has to just be there. So Pam and I are thinking about, what do we get my mom and dad? We may get them some other things, but one of the things we're going to do is this. We're going to go down there, and their Christmas gift is going to be that Pam's going to take my mom away from all the activity, and they're going to spend a day pedicure, manicure, girl stuff, just to be together. Pam is going to enter into her space and say, here, I'll walk with you. While they do that, I'm going to take my dad. We're going to go to the movies. I'm not sure he'll even comprehend what's happening with the movies. He'll probably ask me a lot of times during the movie, what's happening? But that's okay because Pam does that too, so I'm I'm okay with that. (laughs) Because generally she's just waking up. She's like, whoa, what happened? So I'm okay. But you see, what's happening in that moment is that it's not so much about the gift, it's about bringing light into darkness. 
is bringing love into a readied heart. And no darkness of dementia can extinguish that. That's the gift. That's what Jesus did. Let's want what Christmas brings us. It brings us a shared experience. Once on a Sunday morning in, an, in another community of faith, I encouraged them, just, just in, in jest, but I, I kind of meant it too. I, I said at the end of service, now I want you to go find somebody and greet them and ask them to take you to lunch. Because I was, had been talking that morning about us entering into life together, flowing together, getting to know each other better. And so Pam and I and our kids who were young at that time were, were in our car heading home and I noticed someone following us. We pulled in our driveway and they pulled in right behind us and it was Scotty, a guy that had just started coming to church about two weeks before and, and his full family of about five or six, I can't remember now, but five or six of them. And, and he pops up and stands by the door and says, we've come to have dinner with you. Whatever you don't have, I'll go get it now and we'll have fun. So he came in and we spent the afternoon together. It was great. Thank you. (laughs) So God comes to eat with us. He comes to experience life with us. He comes to share himself with us. John recorded it this way. John 1, 4. So the word, the Logos, became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, full of grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And see, that's really hard work. Because if I'll go back to verse 1 that I read to you while you were looking at the nativity, verse 1 said this, that in the beginning was the word. That word structure means that it was a permanent state, a permanent condition he was in. Verse 14 then says he became flesh, and he became flesh involves a change of state. To spend time with us, he had to adapt to where we are. He had to come into some new existence, some new dimension of existence that caused a change in him and that he had to enter into the portal of human birth. And then this amazing thought. He came and he camped with us. That's what the wording means. Made his home means to pitch a tent, to dwell temporarily. Because when you go camping, you're not going to live. You don't want to live in the tent. But it's temporary. So what he did is that Jesus then, to do that, removed his rights as Lord of the universe. And took the limitations that we ourselves live with and put them on himself. And he moved into our life so that he could exist with us. And he grew up with us. And he played with us. And he understood puberty. And he understood all the emotional changes. He understood all that that we have to deal with. He understood the frustrations of living this life. How many of you this week got frustrated at some time? I did. Don't even mention Peach Street. Man. And you've noticed that, that all the really bad drivers show up at this time? Jesus understood that frustration. And then when we got nasty with each other, 
Jesus said, let me show you how, as I'm walking this life with you, to show you how to live this life. And so when we got nasty with each other, he did not. He did not lose his temper. He did not slander. He did not smack. Instead, he showed us how to live the life that is healthy. So this last Monday, Pam and her sister Barb were at our house all day baking cookies. And I stayed away because if you stand in my house too long, they find a job for you to do. So I had important things to do in the city. So we, I got home, and they had just they had worked hard all day and on their feet all day and baked and baked and baked and baked and baked. And, and into the evening, Pam was still wearing this white shirt that she'd pulled out of my closet. And I have at the very end of my closet, I have a couple white shirts that are old, and, and I use them for painting, and I use them for working, and, and they're just they're there. And so then Pam says to me, I hope this wasn't one of your good shirts. I said, well, you got it at the end of the closet, right? Well, yeah, I think. I mean, the end of the closet is the end of the closet. I mean, when you get to the end, you can't go any further in the closet. I said, show me. So she walks and she shows me, she had these shirts right next to your suits. I said, this is not the end of the closet. This is the end of your life. Let me see that shirt. She said, well, I got, I, I got some stuff on it, and I got a stain here on it. And I looked at the tag. I said, this is one of my most expensive white shirts. And then, I, then, I, then the power of God came over me. <laughs> and I spoke in prophetic terms. Not even close. She is a sanguine. I am, I am a melancholy. Melancholies like things structured in an order and feel as their, their, their mission in life to instruct sanguines on how to live life. I said, no, if you would have just gone, can't you understand? Because, and you, and why, and you could have, and why did you? And, 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 and she just looked at me like, what? And so for about 15 minutes, I was just an idiot. And she just, she just kind of loved me through it. I still want to say my white shirt's ruined. I just want to make that clear. I was right. I just need to tell you, I was right. <laughs> so now here's the problem. It wasn't very Jesus. Because the scripture we read said, and I interpreted it for you, he came full of grace. When he was living his life, they said, look, it's grace. Grace is, is a gift. It is a favor when one is not expected. It's the opposite. So that if Jesus would have been in my, my place when Pam said, I used your shirt and it was your good shirt, and he would have said, not a problem. I'll give you a couple more. I'll go get you a new apron. I'll, you've worked hard. I'll take you to dinner. None of those things I said. He, he, he got to the spot where he would take people in their miserable condition and gift them so they could get out of their condition. That's grace. So he deals with a bunch of losers and makes them into powerful leaders. He takes an embezzler and makes him this incredible philanthropist. He has dinner, the kind you only have with friends, 
with a bunch of nasty people. And they said, when he did that, we looked at him and we saw truth. And truth in this case simply means, this is how God feels about you. And they said, wow, we want to join that journey. So whose world can you enter into now and camp out? Because here's what it may involve. It may involve you adapting to their insufficiencies, to their weaknesses, to their inabilities, to their frailties. It, it may mean that you must limit yourself, that you can move with them. See, we, we get we to this place where we go, I can't hang out with that person because they just they drag me down. Well, that's only because you allow them to. You may have to just limit yourself so that you can help them see by grace that when they act the way they do, you gift them. That when they watch you in response to them, they'll say, that's how God would act. My friends, Steve and Paul have been doing some traveling around the world. They've been asked by a a, a network of friends at times to go to third world countries and check on humanitarian efforts and also meet with diplomats and presidents of third world countries. So they were asked to go do that in a third world country in Africa. And this is the first time they were going, so they came to meet with the person who represented this, this networking of friends who were sending them. And so they sat down with this leader and, and they said, tell us what you expect us to do. He said, okay, now here's my expectations. If you go and you return and you haven't come back loving Jesus more, then we failed. If you come back and you haven't come back loving each other more, then we failed. And if you come back and you haven't come back loving your family more, then we failed. And by the way, while you're there, meet with the president. That's what sharing experience is like the way that Jesus does it. Can you make that your, your filter? Can you make that your mantra? Can you make that what it is that when you come back from work tomorrow, if you haven't come back loving Jesus more, then we failed. If you haven't come back loving each other more, then we failed. If you haven't come back loving your family more, then we failed. Can we do that? Because that's what Christmas provides us. That's what Jesus has evidenced to us. That's how we share our experiences. Let's want what Christmas really brings us. It also brings us a shared heart. See, I'm not saying to you this morning, don't give gifts. What I'm telling you is that when you give gifts, make sure it comes out of your shared heart. Let's think smart as we give, not bulk. Not that thing where you bring in all of these gifts and you give them to your kid because that, that only creates selfishness and, and, and a sense of entitlement. Instead, let, let's be smart how we do this. Let's, let's, let's think sustainability, not trendy. Trendy doesn't give life. Sustainability says here it's going to keep, keep growing. It doesn't bring life otherwise. So, so John says this. In John 1.16, 
from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. This is a really tough verse to translate into English. It actually means literally grace in exchange for anti-grace. If I had to put it, and I put it in your notes this way, when one supply of grace is exhausted, another is available. See, God's heart has no limit of his expressions of compassion out of his heart to us. He, he, does, it just, he just keeps flowing. You say, but wait, wait, wait. I prayed for the Maserati. I didn't get it. I prayed for the $1,000 suit. I didn't get it. In high school, I prayed for the supermodel. She didn't show. Well, understand this about the heart of giving. God's giving always reveals his heart for our best without measure. What is best for us, he continually will give to us. And it always does this. It always draws us closer to him. Not drives us away. And perhaps then we should do the same in our giving of gifts this year. Let's make our spending strategic. Let's give from the heart what is needed the most. Not a last-minute blitz through the, through the mall and through the catalogs and the cyberspace. Get all that junk so we have enough stuff in the stockings and enough gifts around the tree. Can you just stop, 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 stop. Just stop. Instead, just, just find those gifts that say, here's my heart for you. Let's spend less to give more and simply ask these two questions in doing so. What will draw us closer? Here, I'm going to give this to you. This will draw us closer. And what will save a life? And the challenge of that is to balance between my desires and what is needed in the community and what is needed globally. What does the rest of the world need? Because we are so rich. Now, compared to the people down the street, you may not be rich, but compared to the majority of the world, you are wealthy. And therefore, we are stewards of what we have. And so the question always comes up, okay, then, if I'm going to save a life this Christmas, that which is sustainable and will draw people closer to each other and to Jesus, what gift could we give this year. We're very excited about the newest nation on planet Earth, South Sudan, the 54th in the African continent, and the newest to join the family of nations. Unfortunately, South Sudan is among the worst when it comes to both mother and infant morbidity. Only 30% of the nation's population have some access to very basic health care. The Juba Teaching Hospital in the capital of South Sudan is in desperate need of a neonatal intensive care unit. Only three neonatal beds currently exist in all of South Sudan. And we have the opportunity of bringing a neonatal unit that will save lives. $60,000 will actually bring a complete unit, central station, training, a year of consumables, uh, warranty for a year, all the things that it will take to get this unit up and running. And, and this is something that, that the hospital is anxious to receive. One of the things that's happening in South Sudan now is that people are coming home. And when I was at the Juba Teaching Hospital, a surgeon was returning from the north. In fact, he's the only orthopedic surgeon currently in South Sudan. 
he's working without an orthopedic surgical table. But he's there doing the work because he wants to help his nation. Uh, an OBGYN has returned from Zambia. There are only three pediatricians in this hospital currently. And so, but people are coming back. And if we can have the tools for them to work with, they'll be able to save lives and train others. This project will lift the health care of an entire nation. It's a beautiful opportunity to bring a tangible act of love to people who are in desperate need. When asked what the kingdom of God was like, Jesus said, it's like a seed which a man took and planted, and it grew, and it became one of the largest trees in the garden so that the birds of the air could come and perch themselves in its branches. We have a marvelous opportunity to plant a seed that will grow and provide a place for people to come and, and find care and help in its branches. South Sudan, the newest nation on planet Earth, the 54th on the continent of Africa, and the need there is tremendous. Everything is needed, truthfully. After decades of civil war, peace has come, but in the absence of war, we need to build a lasting peace and a culture and a structure for life that will allow a nation to grow forward. We can plant the seed of a neonatal intensive care unit in the teaching hospital in the capital of the South, Juba. And this seed will grow, and not only will it save lives, not only will it allow the medical personnel to do the work that they're trained to do, it'll actually keep wonderfully trained people in the country because these skilled technicians will have the tools they need to do the work that God has put in their heart to do, saving lives, training future classes of medical students. The connection with South Sudan and this time is so poignant, and it's my hope and prayer that we'll be able to rise to this opportunity and plant this seed so the kingdom of God can come near. So what if you joined Pam and me and you became very strategic in your remaining days before Christmas? You purchased with your heart and gave with your heart and you, you minimized the expense then you took that which you have saved and you join with Pam and me and we're going to have two services on Christmas weekend. They're going to be identical, Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. And we encourage you to come to one or the other. And if you really enjoy the first one, you're welcome to come back, but they're going to be identical. And in those services, we're going to take a gathering, a collecting of what we're going to bring together to see what we can do to help get this NICU unit in South Sudan so that we can share our heart with those young children and save those lives because I believe that's what Jesus would love to see us do. So I encourage you to join with us and begin prepping. And I would encourage you to sit down with your children and say, here's what we're going to do. And we're going to help these folks and, and, and let your children join with you in expressing love. That when you bring that offering on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and if you're not here that, that weekend, then you can get it to us at another time before then, but do that as a family, do that as a group, do that as, as connectings together, connections together to love the people in this world. So all I want for Christmas really is this, what Christmas wants me to have. And that is that I share my life in the way that Jesus shared his. And that again, the words to this song today become our prayer. Thing my heart can offer is a vacancy. I'm just a girl. 
So now may you in this season of joy, may you discover what Jesus has done for you. And may you discover what Jesus wants you to do for others. May you walk in grace and reflect truth. And may you bring to those around you in these days to come the joy that was sung about by the angels and experienced by the shepherds. And may you discover the awe that one feels kneeling before a king, even as the Magi discovered as they visited the Son of God. And may you understand that he has come to share your space, to walk in your experiences, and to reveal his heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas.